The reading is from 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, and that's found on page 1218, 1218 of the Blue Church Bibles. So 1218, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray for God's help. Almighty God, we pray that we wouldn't just be informed or entertained for the next few minutes, but we pray that we would be changed. And we pray all of this for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Megan can't face going to work because everyone says she's old-fashioned. Wouldn't it be easier if she just stayed in bed? Raheem doesn't know what to do ever since his friends accused him of being holier than thou. Wouldn't it be easier if he just laughed at their jokes to fit in? Ian became a Christian recently, but ever since his family have called him a bigot just because he goes to church. How can he refute these accusations? Well, thankfully, these verses, brief as they are, in 1 Peter will give them the answers they need. The situation of the Christians who first read this letter is actually more familiar than we might realise. We might have got the idea that Christians in the first century across the Roman Empire were kind of being fed to lions twice before breakfast, or that half of the preachers were in prison and the other half were martyred. But, you know, that sort of state-led, empire-wide persecution, it it did happen, but in the first century it was sporadic and it was localised depending on who your governor was. Yes, Peter is writing to a people who are suffering, but there aren't really lions involved, There aren't really prison sentences being carried out. There aren't people being martyred in this letter. Actually, instead, they were facing accusations, ignorant talk, and exclusion. The reason they were suffering was because their family, their friends, their neighbours saw them as other and were suspicious of them. It kind of sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? Even though lions aren't involved, this exclusion and these accusations, it is still suffering and it can be terrible and it still happens for us today. I know someone very well who once attended a work event which was hosted by um, someone who identified themselves as an LGBTQ comedian. And as part of their act, this comedian 
encouraged everyone there to join in the chorus to a song with the line, Christians are insane, repeated over and over and over and over again. Terrible. Can you imagine being a Christian in that crowd? Horrible. In this world, everyone who follows Jesus will experience accusations of some form. The question is what we should do about it. What should Megan, what should Raheem, what should Ian do? What should we do? Should we withdraw, staying in bed? Should we conform, fitting in so that being a Christian won't seem quite so foreign? Should we fight back with irrefutable apologetics? How should Christians live in a world like this? I think these verses in 1 Peter give us two answers. Firstly, in a world like this, we should live as priests among the people. In verse 11, Christians are described as foreigners and exiles. We are foreigners because we don't belong here. We've already heard uh, that this was the experience of Christians who read this letter. They faced exclusion and accusations because they were considered as other. And we shouldn't be surprised if that is our experience as well. We might well complain about how Christianity is increasingly viewed as uh, marginalised, as irrelevant. We might mourn the introduction of laws and rules that make life really very difficult for Christian teachers and for other professions. We might indeed fear what the next step of intolerance towards us will be, but we should not be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. We don't belong here. And the world is only ever really going to look out for its own. We should feel like strangers in society. The time to really worry is when we start to feel at home here. Because as well as being foreigners, in verse 11, we're described as exiles. If as foreigners we don't belong here, as exiles we belong somewhere else. And we've seen that already in 1 Peter. We've seen that we're pilgrims on our way to a glorious inheritance that can never never perish, spoil or fade. In God's mercy, through Jesus' death on the cross, we have a certain future home in heaven. That is our home. That is our hope. That is where we belong. In heaven, in the new creation, with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We don't belong here. We belong somewhere else. So we shouldn't feel the need to conform in order to feel comfortable here. Compared to the, the infinite, vast span of eternity, this world is less than brief. It's less than the flap of a butterfly's wings. It is less than brief. All of our earthly cares, dreams, ambitions, all of our earthly fears, they are far less significant than we might think. Remember Megan, accused of being old-fashioned. 
Raheem accused of being holier than thou, Ian accused of being a bigot. At this point in the sermon, they could be excused for thinking, okay, I'm a foreigner, I'm an exile, I belong somewhere else, I don't belong here. I won't conform to make myself feel comfortable. Instead, I'll withdraw and I'll just wait for Jesus along with my other fellow exiles. Maybe some of us would sympathise with that kind of perspective. But then they read verse 12. Where are we to live? Among the pagans. And by the way, it's probably not a good idea to call someone a pagan. They might not take it well. Um, But the Bible is clear that every human being in the world, every person in this room, belongs in either one category or another. Either you are a worshipper of the true God of the Bible, or you are not. There is no middle ground. But even in a world of false accusations, even in a world that looks out for its own, Christians aren't to look down on unbelievers. Uh, Describing them as pagans in this context wasn't meant to carry any offence at all. We shouldn't separate or withdraw. We are to live among the people. We don't belong here, but God doesn't want us kind of on the edge looking in. We belong somewhere else, but God doesn't want us kind of hidden in the middle, where we've built our Christian walls really high so that no one can can get at us. God wants us slap bang in the middle of the unbelieving world. He wants us among the people. Why? There's no real debate that... uh, in a hostile world, it would be much easier to live in a Christian fortress with our defences up. There's no debate that um, in a world like this, we would be much less tempted to conform if we kind of stayed out here with our own Christian subculture. That would make temptation easier. Why does God want us among the people, among the pagans? Because we're priests. That's what we heard about last week. That's what we read in verse 9. We have been chosen as a nation of priests to declare God's praises. The job of a priest is to stand in between two worlds, communicating the one to the other. For Old Testament Israel, they were a, a nation of priests. Their job was to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. And that's our calling as priests too. As priests, we shine the light of God's world into this one. It's a wonderful paradox. Um, Yes, according to verse 9, we've been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. But we've also been placed as lighthouses shining out across an ocean of darkness, calling ships into land. How foolish it would be if you were a lighthouse keeper to dim your light so that it might better fit in 
to the dark world around it. How foolish it would be to construct walls around that light so that uh, you would stay safe. We should shine as priests among the people. What does this look like for us? Well, being a priest among the people, it might mean saying yes to the work social, even when they've spoken badly of you in the past, even when it's not easy. Um, It might mean taking your time at the school gate and uh, talking to people rather than rushing off, even if the people there seem a bit cliquey and exclusive. Really, I think this verse demands that we let our walls down a little bit. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it's not as safe. But that is what God wants of his people. In a world like this, full of accusations, we are to live as priests among the people. And secondly, how should Christians live in a world like this? We should live good lives for God's glory. If living as a priest among the people sort of describes our position, our posture towards the world, this point describes our our conduct in the world. And we find the first element of it in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, dot, 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 to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. What a thing to say. It was the people facing suffering, accusation and exclusion. They're fighting, struggling for their place in the world. Surely God should speak softly to them. Surely God should just speak encouraging words to them. After all, isn't that how we treat ourselves? If our day at work or at home has been difficult, don't we let ourselves off? Don't we, if, uh, if we find that our day has been a battle, don't we sometimes indulge our own sinful behaviour, our outbursts of anger, of greed or of selfishness? We give ourselves a break when life is a battle, but God doesn't. God doesn't. To struggling people, God says, abstain from sinful desires. Whatever difficult situations you're facing, God still says, abstain from sinful desires. But this isn't because God is harsh. It's because God loves you. It's because God loves you. Whatever external battles you're facing in your life, Nothing compares with the fight for your soul. These sinful desires we read there, they are waging war. Their blades are sharp. Their battle plan is destruction. Those desires, they might seem harmless or excusable in the moment, but they do violence against you, wounding you and injuring you. They will make you spiritually ineffective. They will make you useless for the kingdom. If they can, they will take your eyes off Jesus entirely. However fierce the fight for your place in this world, focus on the fight for your soul. 
But that's only half the story. In verse 12, we're told to live good lives among the pagans. I think we're in a sad situation if we ever get to the stage where Christians are known more for the evil we are against than the good we are for. It's not enough to be anti-racism. We must be proactive in connecting with people who are not like me. It's not enough to be anti-abortion. We must go out of our way to love and support single mums with young children. It's not enough to be anti-bullying. We must find a way to actively love those who wouldn't naturally fit in. We should be known for doing good. And although I'm speaking in general terms at the moment, over the next four weeks, we're going to see the specifics of what that good life among the peoples or pagans looks like. But for now, consider the motivation in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. I've got to say, I find this such an encouraging verse. Even on the most mundane of days, even your simplest of good actions are incredibly significant and meaningful. They are full of glorious possibility. These believers here, they were being accused, as we've talked about. We don't know exactly what the accusations were, but we do know that it's always easier to blame the minority, just as Nero did, blaming the Christians for the burning of Rome. However, for them and for us, simply by living good lives, some of those accusations are going to turn into praise. Some of those accusations are going to turn into praise. Slander will turn into singing and shaking fists will become hands lifted in worship on the day when Jesus returns. They will realise that their accusations are false and they will turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. When God comes to bring in that new creation, they will join in the chorus and give him all the glory. Maybe Maybe it will be your son. Maybe it will be your sister. Maybe it will be your neighbour. And Peter really is talking about people being converted here. He gives a specific example later in chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, where a husband, an unbelieving husband, may be converted simply by the good conduct of a believing wife. Our simplest of actions are full of glorious possibility. This is the powerful witness of a good life lived for God's glory. Today, it it can often seem that a life is only significant if it's recognised. If it isn't put on Facebook, if it isn't put on the news, did it really happen? This verse reminds us that a simple good life can have great impact. Fame, awards, praise, 
they may all elude you, but good deeds without fanfare are far more significant than we might realise. It's not that words aren't important. People obviously need to hear the good news of Jesus. But we should leave this morning full of confidence and purpose, knowing that showing people the gospel is immensely powerful, even in the lives of our accusers. How you live, even this week, can have eternal consequences for those around you. That fills me with confidence and purpose. I love that. How do we live in a world like this? As priests among the people and by living good lives for God's glory. This is the path that Jesus walked before us. Um, we've got lots of examples of how to live good lives in the world but, uh, in this chapter. But in verse 21, right at the centre, we read that Christ left, uh, Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Whether now or at another time in the past, we have all been an accuser of Christ. We were really all among the crowd at the cross, shaking our fists at him, hurling abuse at him. That's what we all are, naturally. Can you imagine if Christ had responded by withdrawing? Can you imagine if Christ had responded by keeping his accusers like us at a distance? Can you imagine if Christ had conformed in order to fit in? Can you imagine if Christ had fought back against his accusers? We would be completely without hope and we would have no home to look forward to whatsoever. But praise God, Christ did not do that. Praise God, he did the ultimate act of good by dying on that cross so that anyone, even an accuser, who puts their faith in him will be saved. This sermon has had a lot about how we live. I just want to say, as we finish, you will not save yourself by living a good life. You might save someone else as they see uh, Christ in you, but you will not save yourself by living a good life. Our only hope for that eternal home is the good that Christ has done, is the death that he died. Megan was accused of being uh, being old-fashioned, and she wanted to withdraw. But following Christ's example will mean more than just getting out of bed and going to work. Rahim was accused of being holier than thou and considered uh, conforming in order to fit in. But following Christ's example will mean more than just not laughing at his friend's jokes. Ian was accused of being a bigot and he wanted to find the perfect arguments to refute them. But following Christ's example will mean more than answering back. In all those situations, we answer our accusers with a simple good life lived for God's glory. And over the next four weeks or so, we're going to see the details of what that looks like. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his perfect life and his sacrificial death on the cross. Thank you that the day is coming when he will return and we will give you the glory. Father, we pray that even this week you would help us to live simple, good lives among our unbelieving friends, neighbours and colleagues. And Lord, we even dare to pray that this week some of those would turn to Jesus, that they would ask us for the reason for the hope that we have, that they would be among that great crowd of worshippers at Christ's return, praising and glorifying and worshipping. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.